Hey there, podcast listeners. This is Meg Jacobs, the executive director here at Oaks Church Brooklyn. If you're listening to this podcast, it's a fair guess you have some affinity for this community and the work the Spirit is doing in and through us. If that's the case, I want to take a moment to let you know about an opportunity to formally enter the Oaks Church family, even if you don't call New York City home. The Oaks Church Brooklyn Arbor Society is a newly formed body of people who are connected and invested in the growth of this community and the ministries of this church. Arbor Society members support us in three primary ways, through time, talents, or resources. As integrated members of this expanded Oaks family, joining the Arbor Society will come with a host of benefits and invitations designed to keep members up to date on the community, share resources to bless their local church family, and enable this church to join with them in prayer, support, and fellowship. To enroll in the Arbor Society or find out more details on what's included, head to oaksbk.church slash arborsociety or click the link in the podcast notes. We can't wait to see how Oaks Church will grow with your care. You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Hello. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captivities and release darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of God's favor and the, and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, <clears throat> the oil joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, <clears throat> a planting of the Lord's the planting of the Lord for display of his splendor. Isaiah 6, 1, dot, dot, 1, underscore, free. Thank you, August. Can we give it up for August again, please? That was amazing. You did so good. A lot of words. Y'all, this is a really tough act to follow. Come on. Can we give it up for the kids one more time? And the team. All right. If we haven't met, my name is Mackenzie. I have had the incredible honor and privilege of being our pastoral resident this year. And it's really exciting that we got to open service this way as the kids tell us the story of Jesus and now we can dive in a little bit deeper into what this means for us today. Um, And so we are in our Advent series and it's titled The Word With Us and it's been furthering our exploration through the Bible 
And today I want to talk to you about Jesus and him being the center of all scripture. And my hope is to show you why this matters to us today, you know, exploring just why does it matter if Jesus is the center of scripture. And just so everybody knows, the kids are actually going to be staying in service with us, which is really exciting. We're really happy to have them. Um, so, um, yeah, we're going to be talking about Jesus as the center of scripture because, you know, if you grew up in church, then you're probably really familiar with this story. And you're probably really familiar with a lot of the other biblical stories, Noah and the flood, Jonah and the whale, David and Goliath. And you know about Jesus, you know, he performed many miracles in the gospels, you know, he healed the sick, that he comforted the poor. And many of these stories have encouraged you and perhaps brought you comfort. Oh my gosh, how cute. Um, But if you didn't grow up in church, then you maybe aren't as familiar with this story or these other stories that I've mentioned. And maybe you've thought that the Bible is a book of morality or just some philosophical musings, or perhaps it's just some old rule book you've heard about that's designed to prevent you from being your best and truest self. But whichever camp you find yourself in this morning, can I tell you that The Bible's not simply a book of ethical principles or life lessons. In fact, as our kids were kind of showing us this morning, it's one unfolding story that is more than mere fantasy, because it's true. It is the Word of God. And to understand this story from Genesis all the way to Revelation, if we are ever to properly handle the Bible, then we must first understand that it has one ultimate purpose— It has one ultimate king, that it isn't ultimately a story about you, and it's not ultimately a story about me, but in fact, its focus is far higher and, dare I say, far better. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for this time together to gather and be reminded of your son, whom you sent us. Would you just bless the rest of this morning? Would you begin to minister and encourage the hearts of those who are here today. We thank you for your presence. Thank you that you are with us and for us always. In Jesus' name, amen. So our teaching text today that August read so brilliantly, thank you again, um, it comes from the book of Isaiah. And it's named after the prophet Isaiah, who was God's appointed instrument to bring a message of judgment and ultimate restoration to Jerusalem. So during his time, God's people had lost the vision of God's kingdom, his kingdom of justice and righteousness and peace. And they were trying to establish their own kingdom. And they had become like the surrounding nations. They were being prideful. They were being selfish. But the Lord, in his goodness, was still committed to establishing his kingdom. However, this kingdom would not be brought in by human effort, but only through his redemptive plan. And so central to Isaiah's teachings are images of this promised Messiah who would suffer and die for the sins of God's people. And so the first half of the book speak of the coming judgments at the hands of Assyria, who were a global superpower at that time. And the final portion of the book, which includes our teaching text, Isaiah 61, um, was to encourage the people of Judah, who would have been taken captive by Babylon 
another global superpower at this time. And so as we arrive to chapter 61, the original hearers and readers of this Old Testament prophecy would have understood this to be pointing to a coming Messiah. God gives his people in the Babylonian exile the promise of deliverance. And this Messiah, this anointed one, would come to make of his people what they cannot make of themselves. So imagine scattered exiles living under the consequences of their sin and how much hope this message would have provided. It would have provided them with a great assurance in God's enduring faithfulness. And so one thing that is actually true of many biblical prophecies is that they progress, okay? So there's like a progression that can happen with them. So this prophecy was originally actually fulfilled in the years following 538 BC, following the exile, because there was a remnant that returned from exile. And specifically, which we didn't read in the text, but verse four says, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. So there's a portion of this that is fulfilled, okay? But then some 570 years later, Jesus read this passage in the synagogue of Nazareth, proclaiming further fulfillment. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, in Luke 4, verses 16 through 22, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Jesus, he opens up the scroll of Isaiah 61, the text that we just read, in the synagogue of Nazareth, his hometown, and declares to the room that today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, declaring that he is the very person described in Isaiah 61, and he is the one that the Spirit of the Lord is upon. And so the Messiah had come right there in the flesh, another fulfillment of God's promise to his people. But notice in this passage in Luke, in Luke 4, Jesus did not mention, and the day of vengeance of our God, because this day still lies in the future. There's still an unfolding of this prophecy that's happening in Christ's second coming. So even now there are elements of this prophecy that await further fulfillment. Are you guys tracking with me? Great. So moving on in the book of Luke, in Luke 24, we're now at the part where Jesus has resurrected. And having risen from the dead, he, he goes to his disciples, and they're reasonably startled, bewildered, frightened. And he says to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And note that this isn't the first time Jesus has said this. Prior to his death, Jesus explained to the Pharisees, who were the Bible experts of the day, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. So what is the point that I am trying to make? Well, from beginning to end, my friends, your Bible is an epic story about Jesus. Why? Because only Jesus came to earth fully God and fully human and lived the life we couldn't. He died an atoning sacrificial death and he rose again, defeating sin and death for all. I mean, Jesus was everything that Adam wasn't. 
Jesus was everything Israel could never be, and Jesus was and still is everything that we fail to be. He is the fulfillment of God's promises, all of scripture pointing to him. And so I propose this question again, why does that matter to us today? You know, why does it matter if Jesus is the center of the story? Why does it matter if Jesus is the hero of the story? Well, if Jesus is the center of the story, then it means that we don't have to be the hero of our own story. If Jesus is the center of the story, we don't have to be the hero of our own story. I mean, that is freedom. That is really good news. And we're going to look at what that means a little bit in three points. Because if Jesus is the center of it all, that means, number one, we can be honest. Hallelujah. Number two, there is help. And number three, we have hope to give. So looking at number one, if Jesus is the center of the story, then we can be honest about who we are. We can be honest with where we're at. I mean, you've heard it said here many times, God meets us where we are, not where we think we are or where we want to be, but who we actually are, where we're actually at. And I love this quote by Paul David Tripp. He says, The work of Jesus on our behalf is so completely sufficient, I can be honest. There is no damage that sin has done or will do that hasn't been addressed by his person, work, promises, and presence. I am convinced that we, the community of believers, can be the most honest community on earth because there is nothing that could be known, revealed, or exposed about us that hasn't been covered by Christ's atoning work. That is the beauty and power of the gospel. I mean, look back at our teaching text. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, Jesus, because the Lord has anointed me, Jesus, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me, Jesus, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Christ's atoning work provides real healing and it's transformational. And our challenge is often to believe that. God has never asked us to measure up. I mean, the law all throughout the Old Testament, the law shows us that we never could. And now Jesus can meet that need for us and he does so perfectly. He has us completely. We were never meant to get up and strive to do something great for God. Our aim has been to stay close to God so that he can do great things through us. And all that is required is to have faith in his abundance and and to abide and to stay close to him. I mean, this completely changes our relationship with confession. Do you see? It completely changes it because it means we never stop confessing. We can be honest. We can be honest about who we are, what we're going through. I mean, we so badly want to stand on our own. But Jesus wants us to bring ourselves into relationship with him. He doesn't need us to fix all our things. He wants to keep loving us there and providing for us there. I mean, we simply have to keep bringing our weakness and places of healing honestly before him. I mean, who teaches us this better than our kids, right? Who are so comfortable in their dependence. So if Jesus is the center of the story, then we can be honest. 
And number two, if we can be honest, then that means there's help. I mean, there is real, tangible help in our time of need. Therefore, we can be content not knowing what tomorrow will bring. I mean, because whatever comes, Jesus is with me. Whatever I go through, Jesus is for me. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Jesus actually wants to help us through daily life. And again, it's so easy to forget this because we so badly want to feel competent and strong. But we're not strong enough. Life is really hard. And God has called us to really hard things. I mean, how am I going to care about the welfare of others? How am I going to care about all of the things that are going on? How am I going to stop gossiping? How, how am I going to lay down my pride when I wasn't in the wrong? How am I going to be patient with my spouse or my roommate or my child or my boss? By grace through faith. By grace through faith. I mean, funny enough, maturity in the kingdom is growing more confident in our neediness. And that sucks sometimes. It really does. It doesn't feel good. But it's true. I mean, Jesus said, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, become like a child. But we're so often trying to avoid that because it's uncomfortable and it feels weak. But we have forgotten how much power God issues us in himself day by day, moment by moment. We are never without him. I mean, the problem isn't our weakness because God said, my power will be made perfect in your weakness. So the problem isn't our weakness. As Paul Washer would say, our problem is actually that we don't know how weak we really are. Because that weakness would drive us to our knees time and time again, just as being truly incarnate drove our Savior to his knees and to prayer and into God's presence. Hebrews 4 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you believe that? We hold firmly to the faith that we profess because we know that there is help and we need to know that. Why do we need to know that? We need to know that because suffering is a known quantity for the Christian. I know that's not always easy to hear, but it's true. And so we need to know this. We need to know that we can be honest about how we're feeling. And we need to know that there is help for us in our time of need. He gives more grace. The Bible says that he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, before the mighty God, and he will lift you up in good time. So if Jesus is the center of Scripture, we can be honest. If Jesus is the center of Scripture, it means there's help. 
And if Jesus is the center of the story, it means we have hope to give. And I say hope to give because if God can heal and change our lives, granting us an eternal hope, not of our own doing, what do we do with that hope? We give it away to others. It empowers us to live out our faith with boldness, compassion, and a desire to share the good news of Jesus Christ. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Oaks, church, this is who you are. Oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Our aim is to make much of the glory and grace of God. In 1 Peter, Peter is writing also to scattered exiles. And he is encouraging them and he says this, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. I mean, the way we honor the Lord is by always being prepared. Does anyone have a reason to ask you for the hope that you have? The church is the hope of the world. We don't have to produce some novel concepts of our own. We only bear witness to what God has already done and testify to Christ's resurrection, remaining faithful to the testimony of the scriptures. That's why we had this pageant. That's why we keep celebrating Christmas, as Mesa said, we, because this is the hope of the world. And we're here to show that and testify to it. We're to live set apart to serve the Lord. We are the hope of the world. We're not the saviors of the world, but the hope. And that means that our lives are living testimonies to the grace and mercy of God. And it's not because we're better than anyone. It's not because we're smarter. It's not because we have it all together. I mean, if anything, God's people, we have a slingshot and a couple of stones. We come with two fish and some loaves of bread, but we lay those things at the feet of a living God and we surrender our lives to Jesus who will sustain us. I mean, he is the manna in the wilderness. He is our goal of heaven. He is the new and better Moses. He is the greater Aaron. He is the better Adam. He is the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. He is the fulfillment of all our hope, all of it. So I'm gonna invite our communion servers to come forward and start getting ready. And Ben, if you wanna head up here as well. If Jesus is the center of the story, then we don't have to be. The pressure is off. We can be honest about who we are. We can accept the help freely offered to us and we can give hope to the world around us. That is good news. And maybe it sounds simple, but it's not. But it's good. 
And there's a lot of really bad news in the world today. And so how much more should we really know this and cling to it, hold fast to it? And so I'm going to invite us to respond to what we've heard today by coming to the table. If the prayer team could come forward as well. Perhaps while listening to this, you realize that you need to get honest with God, whatever that looks like. Maybe you've forgotten that he is your help and you realize that you've been trying to do this in your own strength. Stop trying to fix yourself. You don't have to. That's not what he's asked you to do. Jesus says the work of God is this, to believe in the one whom he has sent. Or maybe you've been so focused on yourself and and you've forgotten that this good news is meant to be shared. And if you're here today and you've never heard this story and perhaps you don't know what story you've been living in, I just want you to know that there is a God who made you and he loves you and he knows you better than you know yourself and he desires relationship with you. But the only way to enter into that relationship is by faith through Jesus Christ. So if there's anything stirring in your heart this morning, we have our pastors here, we have a prayer team here who would love to pray with you and talk to you about what it means to follow Christ. I didn't grow up a Christian, saying yes to Jesus was the best thing that ever happened to me. So would you all stand with me as we get ready to respond? Whatever the Holy Spirit is ministering to your heart. If you, if you need prayer and you, if you wanna get prayer and before you come to the table, you can start coming forward now. You don't have to wait. Lord, we give you thanks. We thank you that you sent your son to die for us and that he rose again, Lord, and defeated all sin and death for all eternity, God, and that you brought us into relationship with you. And we thank you that on the night that you were betrayed, you broke bread with your friends and you told them to eat that bread in remembrance of you and to drink the wine in remembrance of you, of the new covenant that you were making for your people. And so now we come to the table and we respond to what you have done with open hearts, open hands, and open minds. Lord, would you do what only you can do? And so friends, I invite you forward to respond however you need to. The gifts of God for the people of God.